And welcome into Mustache Drinking Podcast. Andrew and Quinn here as usual. We've got a guest on the show tonight. But first off, Quinn, it was a beautiful day out. I'm sure you had a great day, didn't you? It was a wonderful day. I I couldn't ask for a, a, a better day. <laughs> uh, Quinn had kind of a shitty day, so send good vibes to Quinn. <laughs> and... Uh, We'll bring in our guest. This is uh, Joe McGrath. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm fine, gentlemen. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Doing well. It's good to have you on the show. Um, We usually start by just chatting for a little bit, uh, but that's kind of going to be what this whole episode is about. Is uh, our topic today is Mixology 101, and um, Joe is a is going to be a great our resource for that. He's really going to let us just kind of sit back and uh, barrage him with questions for hopefully like a half an hour uh, instead of uh, us having to do all the answering. It's going to be Joe. It's going to be a very, uh, very nice uh, mix up. Right, Quinn? Yeah, we'll actually have someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> do the talking instead of us just <laughs> spewing bullshit for however long we want and then posting it on the Internet. <laughs> the American way. <laughs> Well, uh, Joe, let's just start out. Give us, give us the background. Give us uh, why we would think you're qualified to come on here. Why you think um, you know what you're talking about when it comes to mixology? Well, I mean, there is the, always the difference between bartending and mixology. Um, my qualifications: I am a graduate of the Minnesota School of Bartending back in 2018, and then I am also a member of the United States Bartenders Guild which is sort of a union for bartenders across the nation to uh, kind of share ideas, have meetings, and work with corporate sponsors. And through them, I'm a certified mixologist and craft cocktail. I don't know if we have a term like a sommelier, but uh, a craft cocktail sommelier. I have the licensure to prove it and taken the test and then also working at various restaurants around the Twin Cities that specialize in craft cocktails. It is a little longer to get your drink. It is well worth the wait. And then uh, also doing a little private bartending as well as uh, cocktail contests. So if, uh, if somebody should be qualified, I sure as hell hope it's me. Now, could you quick just explain kind of the difference between bartender and mixologist um, for our yeah. listeners who might not be quite sure? Yeah, of course. Uh, so a bartender, they pretty much, they're working with the rail in front of them. They got, you know, their standard rum, whiskey, vodka, gin, and then a couple mixers. Uh, pretty basic stuff, just your basic call things like rum and coke, whiskey, diet, whatever. Craft uh, cocktails or mixologists, we have to know either different flavors that'll come from, say, different types of whiskey. If you want to make old-fashioned, do they want to have it a little more strong bite finish and you would use a bourbon which bourbon would you use or if they want it smoother which rye would you use or if you want to throw them a wild card and throw them something like uh, a lesser known whiskey um, we have to kind of remember all of that aspects going into making a cocktail like the primary bar i worked at had over 185 different types of whiskey and we could use any one of those in any type of whiskey cocktail. I don't know why somebody would get a $10 or $20 
whiskey coke but make it for you and it'll probably be one of the better ones you've had in your life so i mean i i won't argue with that that just seems like a lot for whiskey coke but god it would be delicious When you'd be surprised, man, there are some people that will order a $20 whiskey and Coke. And, and then, then you get into the questions on what do you normally have? What kind of whiskeys? Do you like that? Do you want to try something new? And then it's also, you can make something off the cuff. I'm a wild card. Like my personal favorite choice was actually for, say, a basic just whiskey on the rocks. Simple drink. You can throw them a wild card. I always did something that was made right here in the great state of Minnesota. A whiskey from Chattanooga Distillery called Ranch Road Hard Hops. Whiskey made from uh, fermented hops and barley, actually used by Mankato Brewing's uh, nut brown ale in their fermenting process. Use that for the primary mash bill. Give it a really different flavor profile, but still a very, very good choice of whiskey. Interesting. I'd, I'd never heard of, uh, that type of local whiskey. That's a fascinating makeup of it. Uh, what is the taste akin to did, did you ever get to try it, Joe? I did. Um, it was one of my personal favorites. Uh, I did keep a bottle at home and I did give out some as gifts. Um, the flavor profile is really much akin to, uh, a rye whiskey because the other part of the mash bill, was about 45% of that hops and barley. The rest was a rye filler. And then that really brings forward a rye taste. But on the finish, you get those interesting notes of the graininess of the barley. And then also a little bit of bitterness from the hops, especially when you would smell it. It smelled actually very much like a very light, weak IPA when you would smell it. Didn't smell like a whiskey at all. That was going to be my question. Did they try and accentuate the floral notes of the hops or bring out the bitterness of it? It did bring out primarily the bitterness. Um, it is a whiskey, so it will have that little bit of a bite. If it was more of a botanical based, trying to get those floral notes, it would have worked, but they focused primarily on the bitterness, which also is coming out when you um, use the hops, especially in the wort of making the beer. That allows it to bring out that natural bitterness, depending on the hops that were used. And I believe they used uh, Cascade uh, hops. So that's a very hop, okay. very bitter flavor of hop. How many of these 180 whiskeys did you actually use in a drink? Or were you up above 100 in your time there? Um, overall, the only bottle I know wasn't opened was actually Johnny Walker Blue. Other than that, I am about, I want to say 90% sure every single one of our bottles was open. Wow, that's crazy. The amount of different drinks people can just conceive in this one bar. Well, it's not even that. It's um, We did have a set menu, but then, as, again, with craft cocktails or mixology, we have to make stuff up on the fly. Something that uh, you ask a flavor kind of uh, profile from the customer, a flavor menu, then you would build something off of that. Uh, we didn't also just use traditional simple syrup. We do tend to use a little higher end stuff. I do know for a fact we used muscovado sugar, 
make our simple syrup. So it did have a little more refined or unrefined sugar taste. It was an unrefined brown sugar is muscovado sugar. It still had that rich molasses -y taste. And then it you could also use less of that to sweeten your drink instead of, you know, a good amount. So, Joe, um, for our listeners at home, what would be the things you think that they just kind of have to have starting their own home bar with the idea of getting a little bit into home bartending and maybe starting to step into the world of mixology? Um, it's really not that daunting of a, of a challenge. It's um, the challenging part of being a mixologist or starting to be one is kind of taking that leap of faith that sometimes you will, a drink won't be the best thing they've ever had, but you can experiment. You can have fun with it. Some of the quintessential bar equipment that you'll need to be a simple two cup shaker. Personally, I liked using steel ones not the steel and glass just creates for a better seal and you can shake it a lot harder to really mix the uh, liquors that were in that shaker. Um, then also your basic stuff, a mixing cup. Don't use the shaker. It looks a little more professional, looks classier, show off. Then a bar spoon, get one that's not just a straight spoon. Get one that does have kind of the swirl going up the stem because that way you can even look fancier when you're doing the trained bartenders stirring of a cocktail. It looks a lot better. You'll look like you know what you're doing. And really anybody can do it. You can do it with a straw at home to practice. And then fancy glassware. If you really want to get nice, make your own ice. It's super easy to make crystal clear ice at home. I always suggest if you're going to start doing that as a cocktail maker, mixologist, a bar connoisseur, I always think that's a great way to have crystal clear ice and really show off to your friends. You know, you talk about crystal clear ice. How do you make that at home? Is that, is it, is it really simple? It is extremely simple. Yeah. Uh, what you can do. I mean, I assume most places have it. If not, you can pick one up. It's a, all you need is a bread pan a tea kettle, some water, and a sharp knife. Boil up the water to dilute it out, get any impurities out of there. Pour it into your bread pan and then freeze that solid. It will look a little frosted on the outside when you pop it out. That's okay. That's, that means it's working. You'll take your knife or if you do have one, an ice pick, and create your cubes. If you want perfect squares, use a razor sharp knife. Do be careful doing that. I have cut my fingers a couple times doing that. Not a big surprise there. I ended up buying my ice for that. And then you cut it into whatever form you want. And then once you do have your cocktail ready to be poured, pour it over the ice, and then it will create that crystal clear ice, making it that Instagram-worthy cocktail that everybody loves. That's crazy. That's so cool. <laughs> I've actually done this before. I think when I did, I used a uh, really fine, like, eight, one-eighth inch chisel. And that worked out well. So if you have a chisel at home and you're afraid of using the knife, maybe give that a shot. If you just casually have a chisel, Quinn, yep, that, that's normal. I mean, people don't have tools anymore? Am I crazy now? 
think I'm crazy. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> oh my god. I'm I'm I I I did not have a chisel. <laughs> Growing up or don't worry. I got like ten of them. So <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up, there was tons of chisels in the basement. In the in the basement? What are they used for yeah. normally? That's uh shaving wood. That's why, yeah. No. Rolling items. No woodwork done in my household. Yeah. <laughs> what oh. gave it away? <laughs> Is it the fact that I made a podcast? Is that maybe? <laughs> I didn't say that. You did. <laughs> oh God, Joe! I find it interesting that you your list of must-haves was very small for your first bar for your home bar. Quinn and I had a. A whole episode where we talked about things and you know bar spoon wasn't a 100 for us um when i think mixing uh, like a mixer was but yep, yeah I, I think it was i said either a shaker or if you have two bar cups or else a uh, mixing pitcher mm-hmm. and then we had also talked about trying to find maybe two plastic cups that you have in your kitchen that you can get a seal with or a plastic and a glass one, which is hard as hell to find the right fit. But if you do, at least it's cheap. That's very true. And I mean, some of the other things, they are finer, what you will need. If you really want to get expensive, that's just a must haves. If you have all that, you can make a, any type of cocktail you want at home. If you want to get fancier, you could invest in fancier uh, measuring cups, jiggers, um, even stuff like uh, different types of strainers. Because a lot of people don't know, there's two primary cocktail strainers used by bartenders, especially us mixologists. Uh, You can have your Hawthorne strainer and then a julep strainer. Both not needed, but if you really want... Hawthorne is the spring strainer and the julep is like a sieve, right? That is correct. Yeah. And if you want to, if you want to get really fancy and if you're able, it's also, if you're able, you can double strain all of your cocktail at the same time with one hand. That's when you're getting into some fancier tricks like stirring and shaking, double shaking. My time as a bartender, I don't know how he did it. He must've had softball mitts for hands. He, Shook four drinks at once. That's impressive. Two wow. shakers in each hand. I'm like, I have a hard time, you know, shaking two. And this guy blowing me out of the park. I would Did just... you ever get into the uh, like the bottle flipping and the mixer flipping? I had a a couple of coworkers um, back at the restaurant who they would come into work and like the first little bit before their shift kind of when I was starting there was them playing around with just practice bottles they had that were various like weights to simulate different fullnesses. Did you get into a whole lot of that? Um, No, I didn't because the secret to that, I looked into it. Uh, the secret is you have to be able to juggle. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> just straight up can't. I've tried with juggling balls. I suck. And then when I was like, oh, yeah, I can do it with a bottle. That's just throwing a glass time bomb up in the air. Yeah, no, it's happening. Um, it's like juggling, <laughs> but with glass shards. Yeah, exactly. It just seems like, you know, got two people at the bar. 
you and your customer throwing a bottle up in the air is just inviting trouble in and giving them a seat. Uh, <laughs> with that, though, I do have an opinion on that. It is fancy. It is showy. It's great to watch. I Personally, I do watch a couple videos on that. Some people doing some incredible stuff with it. Um, spoiler alert, it does nothing for your drink except rack the price up. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> for a show at that point. And I mean, I'm. It doesn't really even mix it that well. Bug, but I'm not going to, you know, do a little con man routine for you. Did any of your coworkers do it? Or did you, did you, do you know that they could? I know a couple of them could do it. We were specifically told by management to not do it. Because. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly, our work area was a little narrow. It was very long, but narrow. And then we have hundreds upon thousands of dollars worth of product in both liquor, glassware, and surfaces that if, say, you mess up on a catch, unless you're an expert juggler who went to circus school, you're going to drop a bottle. We didn't. It was just too much of a liability. So we just didn't. Yeah, every owner's worst nightmare. A bottle of Pappy Van Winkle hitting the floor. Oh, oh gosh, the illustrious Pappy. Jesus, That's so damn good. It is delicious, but it is it is easily one of the hardest liquors to get your hands on. Oh yeah, that might no be kidding. because the bottle is so goddamn expensive. <laughs> well, that alone, but it's also I think they only bottle it like every other year and then it's a select waiting list to get it yeah and it's a limited run every time they do it as well so they exactly. they kind of actively inflate that price as well in just the way they release it they control the luxury market of whiskey it's it's beautiful but it's also kind of shitty so you said that um you know, your jigger, your measuring tool is not something you would put at the top of your list of needed things. I, when I see a home bar, um, for any beginner, especially eyeing a drink to make sure to see the correct, um, like that, that's one shot when you're pouring it in, you go, okay, I stopped there. That's the one shot. Unless you've gotten some more experience. I think that takes a lot of, t- takes uh, a little bit of time at least to get comfortable doing it that way. So, are you just uh, encouraging people to just eye it right away by not getting that right? Getting that as one of your top things in your home bar? Not, not at all. That's actually an error on my end. It's second nature to me. I actually, even myself, I can do free pours. I can measure out by time and kind of wait to the bottle. Um, I don't. I always use a jigger, um, not because only it's corporate policy, but. It allows you to interact with the customer more and still plan out your drink as you're working. Um, it is a, it is the end all be all, you know, it's like having your phone in your pocket. A bartender has a jigger. Um, that depending to is on what type of jigger you want to use. Um, you can use a shot glass. That's almost always most standard shot glasses are 1.25 ounces. Um, me personally, I had my brand that I used. I used a uh, French brand of a Japanese uh, two style, which is the long, slender, double-sided measuring jiggers. 
I use those for A, they looked nice. B, they had a really good weight to them. And C, you can flip them over very easily with one hand to switch from measuring in your two ounce end to your one ounce end. Um, it's That is an end all be all. Uh, you start planning your drinks, planning whatever booze you got to buy, you buy that. They sell it at almost any total winer. I bought mine on Amazon, actually. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we recommended in our first show to just go on Amazon, find a kit that has like 20 pieces or something and just buy it. Just start off. Oh, just, yeah, just kind of start off. Get one of those basic kits that has a, a the things that we said were one of your top top things you needed. And then, you know, go from there because then you can you always have it. It's not it's, it's stainless steel. Usually they're not going to go bad. You're not going to ruin them right away. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it doesn't expire. <laughs> If they were entirely measure yeah, worse. Good care your bar equipment. Oh my god. Yeah, my bar tools expired. I have to buy new ones. <laughs> oh shit. Oh god. My shaker I, went rancid. I've seen them rust, but that takes like ten years. So yeah. And also, also not stainless steel. Not yeah, no, this is very old. I think I don't even know if how long, how long has stainless steel been common practice? Because this one I found at my grandparents' place is probably like a good 30 years old. Just straight up um, cast iron. Steel. God. It came into like, especially the 90s in restaurants. Yeah, so it was probably right around the beginning, and it's, it's a nice one, but it's rusting. <laughs> That's on you, Andrew. Well, I mean, it was rusting before I got it. I didn't, I didn't do that. I hope. <laughs> sure you didn't. Sure you did. <laughs> a little iron in your drink. It's good for you. <laughs> exactly. It's you're just pour, you're just pouring the vodka in there anyways. It just click it, it cleans it, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, in a way, yes, it does. It cleans the surface by pulling it all into your drink. <laughs> <laughs> like Joe said, you need a little bit of iron in your daily meal. <laughs> <laughs> not oxidized steel. <laughs> oh boy, Quinn, you have a couple uh, cocktail questions for him. Yeah, so I was kind of wondering, just off the top of your head, what would you say are probably three to five cocktails that you think um, would be really good ones to start off with at home that you know might seem a little bit harder than they really are to make. And that most people are probably going to like. You're going to shy away from what I always think, especially um, my experience building menus. Um, I create a drink with one of the primary liquors being one of the ones in the rail. One of the ones most bars at home will have. That's a rum, tequila, gin, whiskey, and a vodka. Make a drink for all of those. You can go pretty much anywhere. Um, we'll start with uh, we'll start with vodka. You can always go with a classic, classic martini. I always did a Vesper martini with vodka. Vesper, an essential James Bond martini, with uh, the lemon peel and the Lillettes. Uh, Lillettes is a kind of specialty for vermouth. Um, you can use just a classic dry vermouth and then do it with a lemon peel, just a splash. I'm talking literally just like a. Boop 
lemon juice to add that citrus to really accentuate the oils that will come out of the peel. It's a standard drink to have there. Um, with gin, I always did. I know it's one of your favorites, Quinn. I always did a Negroni. Oh, um, hell yeah. Andrew's least favorite. You don't like Negronis? Okay, the only one I've ever had was when uh, our friend Arthur made it for me. And I'm not 100% sure if he even did it right, but it was really bad. <laughs> it was real bad. Like, well, real dry and bitter? Like, real dry and bitter. That's a Negroni. I mean, that doesn't sound too far off from making it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds almost on point. Um, yeah, it sounds like the main things it needs to be. Exactly. Maybe it was perfect. I just I didn't um, like it though. <laughs> the touch I always did with my Negroni, um, I did use that barrel aged gin we were talking about earlier to add a different flavor. Just your basic sweet vermouth, and then I would do about maybe a quarter of an ounce of um, bitter orange liqueur from Tattersall. No to it, and then instead of garnishing it with your traditional lemon. I actually did it with lemon peel wrapped into a uh, sprig of rosemary to add a nice floral touch to it. I loved using herbs in cocktails, especially mint, rosemary, and um, thyme. Rosemary goes really well with gin. Mint goes extremely well with almost anything. It's mint. Come on. <laughs> Is that more for the, the notes in the nose, or does that really create a flavor profile does that really add to the flavor profile um it doesn't add too much to the flavor but along with drinking a craft cocktail or a very higher end um as pleasing as it is to taste it also needs to be pleasing to smell um when you bring it up to your nose each time you drink it you'll get that whiff of all of the liqueurs in there plus a little extra from the rosemary from the thyme um, usually the mint, you can't smell too much unless you're making like a traditional julep, which has, you know, a forest of mint. <laughs> it's mint with Effort. a side of alcohol. <laughs> That's My favorite drink was a mint julep. I absolutely loved them. Um, I remember back when we lived together, you'd make those for yourself every once in a while or else. Um, I think it was Moscow mules or Irish mules you would make. It was, it was Moscow mules. I'm okay. I have a huge love of ginger beer. Um, I mean, there's so many good ones. I do a whole episode about ginger beer and call me back. Um, <laughs> I will <forget. laughs> we, we can do that. I mean, one of my first brewing experiences was making a hard ginger beer. My first brewing experience was making Oktoberfest beers, kind of a, a Mueller. It, it turned out, uh, let's just say I'm not a brewmaster. I can make it, but I can't make the stuff to go in it. How about that? <laughs> Leave it at that. No one died. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the fact it's kind of funny that you know it could right quinn it could explode if you do something if you do something tragically wrong when making beer couldn't it 
I mean, if you, yeah, don't put an airlock on it and you just fucking cork it and tape that bitch <laughs> shut, you have a pressure bomb. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. You're going to have a bad time. Same as bottling wine and beer. That's why you leave some space. Or maybe you want to lick it off the walls. Don't judge them, Quinn. I, I mean, if they want to lick it off the walls, fine. But there's, there's easier ways with less glass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Is... Uh, it, one thing I want to add on to uh, Quinn's question kind of is, is there a, like, so, I don't know what, like a simple syrup kind of thing. Um, I don't know what you would call that. Like a, a alcohol adjacent, like a mix kind of thing that you like newbies should go get when they start making like right away. Like you're going to need this. Obviously you should make your own simple syrup, but anything like around that realm. Honestly, I don't even know if you can buy Simple syrup, you probably can, but honestly, it's the easiest thing to make. You can buy simple syrup. I was at the grocery store the other day and I saw it, and it is asininely expensive. <laughs> For what it is. Make your own. Yeah. Um, the other stuff, I mean, if you want it to taste fresher, if you're going for your mixers, if you can, make the juice by hand. Um I always, every day, I would make at least two liters of lemon and lime juice every day, a liter of orange juice every day. And if it didn't go that day, I would store it for the next day or I would dump it out. Uh, try to keep everything as fresh as possible. Especially when it comes to your perishable uh, mixers. Then always invest in higher end. Uh, Specialty mixers like your tonic, your club soda, your ginger beer, um, stuff like that. Uh, I always recommend for ginger beer. I personally, at one of the bars, I recommended we used Bundaberg for one of them, which is an Australian ginger beer. Or you could go with a new one that's actually coming out of Minnesota. Uh, they just opened up recently called Earl Giles. Fantastic ginger beer out of St. Paul. Interesting. With the local connection too, that that's probably good. That was something um I always tried to make uh, very forward with um, especially with customers. If they had something they've never tried before, I would always try to keep it local. Um there is I mean you could throw a rock and you'll probably hit a tap room nowadays. Um <laughs> Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, I mean, we don't have much to do in the winter. <laughs> yeah, blame it on that. <laughs> I, um, I will. Starting with the distilleries as well. Um, even some breweries are getting their liquor licenses to make their own uh, hard liquor on house, which is I think is great for the industry. Um, get local flavors um stuff coming out of minnesota made proudly here like tattersall vikra out of duluth um what's another one bent in roseville they've been doing it probably the longest um who else is there chaska uh chaska panther what else is there panther norseman gosh I remember I had about 
10 different Minnesota whiskeys on hand at the bar, which always made for interesting options. They do taste pretty similar, especially when it comes to rise, unless they throw some wild card in there, but always good. Now, Joe, I'm actually working on something right now that might interest you. I'm doing a prickly pear-infused vodka and a prickly pear-infused gin. Okay. Um, I will say the gin, that'll be a little trickier. Gin is always hard to infuse, especially with um, different notes that aren't very botanical. Um, it's gin. <laughs> um, yep. But the vodka, I expect, will turn out really well. I used prickly pear juice in a uh, tequila drink, actually. I workshopped for a little bit. With a little bit of prickly pear, a reposado tequila, and then the Bundaberg ginger beer made a uh, reposado mule, was what I called it, or a Mexican mule. Oh, Okay. I've actually, so I've already pulled the prickly pear. I used uh, whole fresh prickly pears. Well, not whole. Oh. I minced them up for it um, oh, yeah. in the gin. And so that I had infusing, it was pretty close to a month there, um, which I know I went a little overboard in infusion time. Um, mm. But I was surprised that I, from those little seeds that are in prickly pears, didn't get any of the bitterness and... It actually, it turned out surprisingly good. I used, um, I think it was prairie um, gin. Oh, yep. So something kind of light, still a little botanically, um, but nothing that's like walking through a pine forest. I like your Hendrix or something like that. Right. Yeah, um, I do know one of the best infusions at a restaurant I worked at was a um a bacon vodka which was infused with uh one pound of uh bacon fat it was disgusting to make but oh my god you know the best things are always the worst to make It, it turned out amazing and then at that same restaurant we made our own bloody mary mix put those two together you got a dynamite combo my friend See, that would be the only application I would deem acceptable for bacon vodka. God, gross. <laughs> you, you don't want a bacon vodka tonic? No, kill myself. Yeah, I what? don't either. I Jesus. don't either. Oh, make me puke right here on my can- on my keyboard. Ugh. Oh. At least your computer works. <laughs> oh, quit. <laughs> Don't puke on your phone. You'll be really screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, uh, Quinn, do you have any other uh, questions we can ask? Um, Just one last one. Um, Top of your head, your biggest tip for a beginner. Biggest tip for a beginner getting into mixology. Um, I would say do don't be afraid to try something that hasn't been done before or take a spin on a classic cocktail try new flavors experiment and have fun it's a really interesting way to explore some of the beautiful things you can create with something as simple as liquor it's it's all about experimenting and 
just having fun with it. it you'll never know what you'll come up with. I mean, I discovered that um, lemon lime soda and a spiced rum sounds like it's a horrible combination, just overloaded with sugar. Turns out it tastes a lot like cream soda. Interesting. That makes no sense. <laughs> makes absolutely no sense. 100%. Um, just don't be afraid to try something new. Um, make a drink and name it after yourself. It's a, it's okay to be a little cocky if you're like, this is the best thing I've ever made. If you don't have kids, always think they're the best. <laughs> name it after yourself. I mean, when I did a couple contests, I was extremely proud of the drinks I made. And I still would recommend them to other people. I, I wanted to get a copyright and make it mine, but no, that's too hard. I have one more question. Um, you didn't really go into like your mixology competitions. I would love to like know the process of like beginning to end of that. How was, how, how was it being there? You know, you said it was just in a bar in, in, uh, in the city, but like kind of just take us through each step of like that maybe getting into mix, getting your license and then, you know, getting this, going into this and then, you know, where you are now. Yeah, um, of course, of course. Um, getting into mixology, I actually just started bartending and then it was like, this is a craft cocktail bar. You need to be a little more professional. You got to wear a button up shirt and a overpriced apron. Uh, I still have it to this day. It's my favorite apron. I'll send you the link, Quinn. It's a great apron company. <laughs> I I will take a look at this when you sent it. <laughs> I may or um, may not need a new apron. <laughs> it goes over your shoulders instead of around your neck, so it takes the weight off of there. It's the best thing in the world. Um, but that's how I got started into craft cocktailing. And then uh, my supervisor there, his name is um, Michael Lindgren. He's the vice president of the Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter of the United States Bartenders Guild. Um, he is a phenomenal teacher. He taught me primarily everything I know um, with the classical ways to do craft cocktails. Um, and then after that, he introduced me into the contest that I entered, which was called um, the Mixtape Competition, which really interesting concept because when you think cocktail competitions usually you have to pair it with something right either an appetizer or a course or something uh this one it was interesting you paired it with um music hmm. interesting I it was a, a beautiful concept as uh as a cocktail can have so much history and a story behind it so can music then pairing those two together was a thing I got behind 100%. So when I entered, you don't even have to be a bartender. Andrew, either one of you can enter when they do it again. Any average Joe can enter. And you make a cocktail, you take a picture, send them the recipe, and then they let you know if you're in the finals. And the phrase B, I made it to the top five of uh, the Midwest. And I ended up placing, I believe it was four. So so one could say you were an above average Joe. Smart ass. <laughs> I was waiting for that joke this entire time. God damn it. I had that joke ready this entire time. 
<laughs> Do you have it just sitting written down in front of you? What the hell, Quinn? Make this joke. Make this joke. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, just gotta find a place to put it in. Joe, Joe yeah, knows what to expect from my terrible jokes. <laughs> What else do we expect? Nothing. Come on. <laughs> um, it was such an interesting concept and a time. I uh, made a drink that was near and dear to me. I combined, wait for it, guys, a mint julep base with uh, two other drinks, actually. Um, I made a custom recipe for three drinks into one, called it the Triple Crown, and I paired it with a song from horse racing because at the time I was spending a lot of time in New Jersey and New York and I ended up seeing the triple crown horse race winner. So I made a drink after ritzy horse racing. Um, it turned out all right. It was a brandy mint julep combined with a black eyed Susan and a Belmont breeze. If you know what those are, watch a lot of horse racing and you're my new best friend. Um, <laughs> They're delicious drinks. Um, and then I paired it with uh, gospel music from the 70s, which was one of the top songs when Secretariat was the last horse to win the Triple Crown. So, was, How much it, research did you put into this? How much research? I spent, oh gosh, upwards of about three months working wow. on this cocktail, playing with recipes, and then throwing in some other stuff that... Uh, made it closer to me. Um, uh, the way I did that is I actually um, took my grandfather's recipe for jarring and canning um, peaches from his time in the Great Depression and Prohibition as a child and used that to actually make peach simple syrup and infuse that into the drink as well. Added the, the old Joe McGrath touch. Which surprisingly is a really interesting concept, and uh, I would actually use that simple syrup for anything you need sweetened except maybe coffee. <laughs> yeah, I can't see that tasting real good with coffee, but maybe peach. Well, the peach no, I actually wouldn't recommend it, but it turned out to be a great drink. Um, still very proud of it to this day. Um, only about I think four people know the recipe for it, so very. And so you're going to share it with everyone on the podcast now, so four other people know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Do not say the recipe. I will um, cut it out. <laughs> the primary liquors are Copper and Kings. That we had to use their product. It was through Copper and Kings, which is a. Uh, we started out as a distillery here in Minnesota, and actually sold. The building they were in in Minnesota and moved to Kentucky to launch nationally and they get their name uh, Copper and King I don't know I believe their last name was King and they use copper pot stills which is a very old style method of distilling now so Copper and Kings I use their immature brandy um, it'll put some hair on your chest immature brandy is overproofed it was at about 110 proof so a little high and then actually a little bit of their intense orange distillere which is a high proof orange curacao 
at 95 proof. So one of these drinks will uh, will kind of knock you out. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, Joe, this has been fantastic. I definitely learned a couple things. I'm sure Quinn did as well. As did I. Yeah, and it was. Uh, it was really great having you on. Thank you so much for you know coming on our show and talking to us about uh, mixology because you obviously are way more qualified than either of us. <laughs> I mean, anybody can do it, guys. Like I said, I started out as just a bartender and made my way up here. Anybody can do it. Anybody at home, just play around in your kitchen with booze and fruit. That's the best way to do it, I think. Words to live by. <laughs> fantastic well that is all we have today for mustache drinking podcast thank you again so much joe mcgrath for joining us and talking about mixology we will be back next week and we're going to continue talking about mixology with another guest that uh quinn might know about now otherwise uh we will do it uh next week when you listen in again yeah so our next guest next week will be a bartender by the name of adrian and she's going to be going over martinis and um, starting our discussion on variants, specifically when it comes to martini variants. All right. So tune in next week for that. And again, thank you both so much. It's been a wonderful half an hour plus, uh, but we did pretty good on time today. So hopefully more people will listen to the show. Awesome. Uh, maybe we'll have you on again, Joe, when we talk about ginger beer. Does that sound like a plan? Oh, hell yes. I will be back. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you guys for listening and have a great rest of your day. Peace. <laughs>